And welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garden. This morning, we are going to be chatting about a double portion. The portion is known as Achare Mot and Kedoshim. And I want to remind the listeners about uh, why we have double portions. The Torah is split into 54 Torah portions, parashiot, and we usually read one Torah portion each Shabbat. However, there are 14 parashiot portions that, depending on the year, can potentially be paired together, so two Torah portions would be read on that particular Shabbat. The seven pairs are Vayakahel, Pikudei, Tazria, Mitzorah, which we spoke about last week, Acharei Kedoshim, Bahar, Bahukotai, Bukat and Balak, Matot Masai, and Nitzavim Vayelach. There are a number of reasons why Parashiot are doubled up, and some reasons specifically apply to certain pairings. The basic issue is that although we split the Torah into 54 Parashiot, or portions, a regular Jewish year is 353 to 355 days due to the solar lunar calendar. That leaves us with 50 to 51 Shabbatot on which to read Torah portions. Additionally, when a Jewish holiday coincides with Shabbat, we read the special holiday reading instead of the weekly assigned portion. That leaves us with a maximum of 48, weeks in a regular year in which to read 54 Torah portions. In order to reconcile the weekly cycle of parashiot with the number of Shabbatots available, we need to double some of them up. In a Jewish leap year, we add an extra month consisting of 30 days, which includes four more Shabbatot. Um, Thus, in a leap year, we have a lot fewer double portions. The, these Torah portions I'm about to mention are made only in regular years since the leap year is four weeks longer. So, by Yikahel Pikudei, Tazria Mitzora, our Torah portion, Achareikadoshim, and Bahar Bahukotai. So this week in synagogues throughout the world, Jews are reading the double portion known as Acharei Mot and Bahukotai. These Torah portions, in particular Acharei Mot, uh, give us God's instructions to Moses regarding the procedures for the Day of Atonement. Here's an example of it from Leviticus 16.1 through 18.30. Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come at all into the shrine behind the curtain in front of the cover that is upon the ark. Instead, Aaron shall only enter the holy shrine when he was clean and dressed. Then Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of a live goat and confess over it, 
all the iniquities and transgressions of the Israelites, whatever their sins may be, putting them on the head of the goat, and then the goat shall be sent off into the wilderness through a designated man. Thus the goat shall carry on him all of their iniquities to an inaccessible region. The goat shall be set free in the wilderness. This is the beginning of the notion of the scapegoat. God then says, this shall be to you a law for all time. On the seventh month and the tenth day of the month, you shall practice self-denial and you shall do no manner of work, neither the citizen nor the alien who resides among you. On this day, atonement now shall be made for you to clean you of all your sins. You shall be clean before God, and it shall be a Sabbath of complete rest for you, and you shall practice self-denial. It is a law for all time. This is the origin of the fall holiday known as Yom Kippur. The Torah portion concludes with a listing of sins related to sexual inappropriateness. The second Torah portion, Kedoshin, is known as the Holiness Code. It is Leviticus 19.1 through Leviticus 20.27. And it begins with, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall revere your mother and father and keep my Sabbath. Do not turn to idols or make molten gods for yourselves. I am the Lord, your God. And we now then find a list of, dis- of laws related to the social norms, which are defined as holiness laws. You shall not hate your kinsmen in your heart. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against your kinfolk. Love your neighbor's welfare as if it were your own. You shall not coerce your neighbor. You shall not commit a robbery. When you enter the land and plant any tree for food, you shall regard its fruit as forbidden for three years. But in the fourth year, all the fruit shall be set aside for jubilation for God. Then leads us into a lot of different laws. You shall not falsely measure weights and lengths and capacity. You shall have an honest balance, honest weights. You shall faithfully observe all my laws and all my laws, for I am God. I am the Lord your God, who has set you apart from other people, so shall you be set apart, the clean from the unclean. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, have set you apart from other peoples to be a holy people. This is an example of a different notion of holiness. With me today to discuss Parashat Kedoshim is Rabbi Norman Cohn. Rabbi Cohn is the rabbi emeritus of congregation, Beshalom congregation in Minnetonka, Minnesota, having served there for nearly 24 years. He is someone who is known as a leader of his community and as a great scholar. Uh, He was um, 
ordained at Hebrew Union College and was awarded a doctorate of divinity. Um, and it is a pleasure to invite Rabbi Cohn to speak with me about this Torah portion. So, Rabbi Cohn, welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Well, thank you, Rabbi Garten. It's a pleasure to be back with you, and I want to say hello to your listening audience. Thank you. It's uh, always a joy to have you uh, share your wisdom with the audience. This morning we're speaking about Parashat Kedoshim, beginning in Leviticus chapter 19, which is known often as the Holiness Code. So let's begin by speaking about what's holiness? How do you understand holiness in uh, our tradition and perhaps in other traditions? Well, it's, it's a great concept and a great idea and a wonderful word. Um, and I think it's one of the most um, misunderstood and misused words um, in the vocabulary. Um, you know, we, we tend to think of holiness as um, about certain places are holy. Um, and I think, and, and certain people are holy. We, ha we all have people who say, oh, that's a very holy person, a sacred person. But I think that holiness is not just about places and people. I really think it's about um, the things that go on there. And, and you and I have both taken groups on trips to Israel, and we've been to other places. Uh, a couple of summers ago, my wife and I went to Spain, and um, we visited this beautiful Montserrat near Barcelona. And it's, uh, you know, one of the great holy sites um, for Christians, and uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, it's, where, it's where the founder of the Jesuits, Ignatius Loyola, went. Uh, early in his career, and, um, and other unbelievable things took place there. But it's just a gorgeous place to be. But we certainly our places. listeners will recognize that when Muslims go on the Hajj, mm -hmm. they go to Mecca, and uh, Mecca is considered a holy city. But That's you're right. asking yeah. us to think about holiness not in terms of a place or a locale, but um, with a different definition. Well, an additional, uh, I think it's an additional dimension to the definition because as I was, I was saying, when we've gone to these places, we know that there's a certain feeling of awe and inspiration just to be there. Uh, when I've taken groups to Israel, for example, and I've done it over 20 times, when I go, I, in recent years when I've gone, instead of walking ahead of the group, I do walk out of the group, but I turn around and walk backwards, and I watch the faces of the people in the group as they approach the Kotel, the wall, um, or other sites in Jerusalem, or in Safad or Hebron. And the same thing when I've gone with groups of Christians and Jews together. We go to, down the streets uh, of the Via Dolorosa, and we go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and, and um, you know, we climb these places, and we look, and it's just breath. So the places do have the power to create this sense of holiness. But I think the Torah portion that we're reading this week, it doesn't talk about places. I think it talks about actions, activities. It's the things that we do that can be called holy. And those are the things that take, I think, activate the holy spark that we in, Ju in Judaism think exists in every human being. It's just a question of bringing them out. And and we know that there are so many times when we have a choice between doing this or that, and 
when we choose wisely, we know we're doing the right thing. And, um, and it, it, it does tend to be reinforced in these different places. Um, uh, so even in Jerusalem. That yeah. it, 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 are you suggesting that, simple, that in this week's Torah portion, the notion of just doing the right thing is the equivalent of holiness? Well, there are specific right things that are there, which I love, because they're, they're folded together with rituals, and I find this fascinating. In one paragraph, they're talking about bringing a sacrifice, bringing an offering, uh, and then the next moment they're talking about reaping the harvest of your land and leaving the aftergrowth for the poor, um, about making sure that the one who is less fortunate you, than you um, get his or her share, and I think this is terrific, and, I, it, and it's right in the middle of everything. It's like, it's not, okay, here's a list of all the things. Here's some things you should be doing. Here's some rituals, but the rituals are going to lead you to doing the good activities, and I, I often wondered about this. I'm sure you have too, Rabbi, but um, why are there so many rituals that don't seem to, to have such a purpose, and I think that the rituals are like the containers. There's a delivery system. You know, um, you, we've been in cornfields before, and I've often wondered when I look at a, a, a stock of corn, I, I go, wow, that's going to be delicious when it's on my table. I love those kernels of corn. And yet when you look at the corn, all you see are these huge stalks. You see the ears. You see all the silk that's growing around. You see a husk. And it's going to take some time and effort to peel away the husk, to take away the silk, to get to those kernels. And I like to think of the rituals and the ethics that are connected together in the same way. The rituals should lead us to doing the right thing. And so many of our practices in our religion do that, the holiday and, celebration. And can it work the other way? Is it possible uh, that following hmm. some of the behaviors enunciated in the Torah portion, like greening, yes. leaving the fields, um, and there are others, um, can lead us to ritual behavior? Wow, I, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, I guess ideally uh, it should. I mean, we often ritualize the things we do. I know people that, for example, work at food shelves. You know, every Thursday is their day to go, and I think during the morning when they're getting up, they're already preparing for it. They're starting to get their mindset into what they're going to be doing. So, yeah, I think that's sort of a, a ritual that's um, maybe not outlined in the Torah, but it's the idea of ritual in doing good. And, and in fact, we Jews believe that one mitzvah, the doing of one good deed, often leads to the doing of another good deed and another good deed. And, and so there is a contagion there, and there is a ritualizing of goodness. And you know when people well, it's choose interesting to do the right how thing, in English, yeah. of course, we have the word ritual, which yes. refers to a specific behavior, most often in the context of a uh, religion. But then we use it as a verb to ritualize something, meaning uh-huh. consistency of behavior. Um, uh-huh. I suppose as clergy, we would see the um, symbiotic relationship, right? That that which we want, the behavior which we want people to um, offer 
in the name of their faith should be done mm-hmm. in a ritualized manner, consistently. Yeah, I think that's a great point. That's a, that's a great point. And so there is a connection between the use of the word ritual and the noun ritual, the things that we already know from our traditions. That's, that's a great way of thinking about it. Um, and, and therefore, so guess about- what you're saying is the person who works at the food bank uh, yeah. ritually has, in fact, ritualized what others might see as simply a good deed. Yeah, well, I think that behavior like that is what we're talking about with holiness. I think being holy is not some unreachable thing that only exists in people who are perfect people or in places that are the sites of these great miracles. I think that holiness can be found every day. Uh, you know, not in our Torah portion, but another part of our Torah, in, in Deuteronomy, it says, you know, the commandment is not too hard for you. It's up in the heaven, you should say. Right. Who's going to go up into heaven and bring it down to us? Or it's over the sea that you have to bring it back from overseas to do it. It's, it's near to you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart so that you can do it. And I think, I think that's what holiness is. It's not, um, it's not something that is um, so heavenly. It's earthly. It's, it's how we make the sacred in the world. And, you know, we're, we're living this pandemic now. And um, we see lots of horrible, horrible stuff. But we're seeing so many beautiful acts of kindness on the part of first responders and, and the doctors and the nurses and, and the people who are delivering the mail and people who are delivering packages to your, to your door. I'm sitting here in my study at home looking out the window. Uh, a fellow from UPS just came and dropped something off at my front door, and I'm so grateful. These are the things that might seem little, but they're great deeds of kindness. And, and I guess in, um, the, helping in the context of the pandemic that we are living through, the man yes. from UPS could have shown up um, nine weeks ago, and we would have just seen it as his job. And we would have been thankful right. that he um, performed his job, but now we see this as something more than just a job. Yeah, that's, that's beautifully said. Exactly. He's doing, he's doing a mitzvah. He's doing a good deed. He's doing something right. that and we could say. And a good deed, is, I guess, in the yeah. context of how our Torah portion, Kadoshim understood it. I want to make a slight transition because, as you know, many of our uh, listeners are uh, Christian or of other faiths. And uh, right. in our Torah portion, Leviticus 19.9 and uh, Leviticus uh, 19.16, we find a very famous verse, um, yes. love your neighbor as yourself, havtalarecha uh, kamocha. Exactly right. Just a few Hebrew words, but as you well know, once you translate them, they have become um, a significant part of Jewish tradition and, of course, Christian tradition, um, and mm-hmm. other traditions have modified the translation to fit within their own theology. But perhaps you right. could share with, your, with our listeners your thinking about the importance of this simple three-word, three-Hebrew-word phrase. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm glad you, uh, you, you brought us to this place, because that's one of the texts I wanted to address. 
because uh, we do find great meaning in that passage, both Jews and Christians. I know that in, uh, in the Gospels, in the Synoptic Gospels, when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And uh, you can find that in each of the Gospels. His answer is, first of all, um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, your God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Comes on. That's the second commandment. Um, you shall love your neighbor as yourself is the second greatest commandment. That's, we couldn't share anything more central than that. When, when Jesus himself says uh, the first and second commandments include this quotation from Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and we um, should remind our listeners that the first commandment about God yes. being one is from Deuteronomy 6. So while Jesus Mm -hmm. is not quoting from Exodus uh, 10 Commandments, Exodus 19, yes, Exodus 19, Exodus 20, I can't remember offhand, but he's quoting um, from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew Tanakh, um, as commandments. Yeah, and the reason for that is Jesus was a Jew, and this was his tradition, and he was... um, a faithful Jew. He, he observed these things. When he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, he was reciting something we recite twice a day. It's part of our liturgy. Hear, O Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu. And um, he was drawing on the tradition. And, of course, the Old Testament, as it's called, um, was the, the mine from which, you know, it was the treasury from which he mined so many of the teachings And that's why and that's how Jews and Christians share so much of our traditions, especially those great ethical commandments. And, you know, for for Christians, Jesus is regarded as the Son of God. Um, And we're told in our tradition, right here in Deuteronomy, it starts off, um, you shall be holy for the Lord your God is holy. Now, what does that mean? Do we have so to this be is God? From our parasha, Leviticus 19. Right? You shall yeah, be holy, right. for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And then we find just 19, uh, 18 verses later this notion of love your neighbor as yourself. It's all part of what you call the holiness code. But the idea of being like God is crucial in Judaism. It's, it's the, it's the uh, idea of imitatio dei, to use a Latin term, the imitation of God. And we can be like God, and this Torah portion is so clear, when we act in a divine way, when we act in a godly manner. And this is something that's not just reserved for certain people. Every human being has the potential to demonstrate this kind of holiness. So it doesn't have you don't have to go to Jerusalem to feel this, or to Mecca, or to Rome. You know, you go into the Vatican, and you look up in the Sistine Chapel, and you see the most awe-inspiring, beautiful um, frescoes and art, and it's inspiring. But you don't have to go to all these places. We don't have to go to the Kotel, the Western Wall in Jerusalem, or uh, Muslims don't have to just go to Mecca. We can go to our own hearts and our own way of making the world a better place and that's holiness holiness when you read when you read this this section from leviticus rabbi do you think that the torah meant it in 
a universal manner that these were commandments from the one God to all humanity, or was it a particularistic manner that only the people of the covenant had access to holiness through these rules? Well, you know, I think that it's both. I think that we find in the Torah and we find in the Old Testament a sort of a model of what covenant can be with God, and it's not exclusively for the Jewish people. Uh, Christians see themselves also as children of the covenant, and, and Muslims as well, and it's how we define that covenant that makes our religion meaningful in our lives. I think that, um, I mean, think about the things that are, speaking here. Well, some of them are, you know, bring a sacrifice of uh, an offering of well-being. That was done at the ancient temple, but the rabbis translated that after the temple was destroyed into a new thing. It's prayer and study and the doing of good deeds, of mitzvot. This is what has been Judaism since the time of the destruction of the temple. And and all of these things, you think most of them are things reaping the harvest of your land. Well, Anybody who's a farmer, and right now we're relying on farmers, relying on man, you know, manufacturers to make sure that the supplies are there for people who are stuck in their homes. And, you know, when you, when you reap the harvest of your land, don't reap all the way to the edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. What they're saying is resist that human natural inclination to be greedy. Make sure you share what you have with other people. And you don't have to be a farmer to do that. You don't have to be a manufacturer to do that. Um, You have to be a human being to do that with people among whom you live and to make sure people are taken. You should not steal. That's not just for Jews to observe. That's for everyone. You should not defraud your fellow. Don't steal also doesn't mean just steal people's property. The rabbis were really really clear in, in interpreting it. They said, don't steal their reputation by slandering. So the, this the Torah is, portion this is universal. It, it, the Torah portion is universal. It's particularistic. It offers us this really challenging definition of holiness uh, by mentioning both uh, that which we would call uh, religious ceremonies and religious obligations, but also social obligations. Um, it reminds us that Shabbat should be ritualized in its observance and followed mm-hmm. um, for all time. It reminds us that we should leave the corner of our fields, a social obligation. Um, it I, doesn't say that you have to share all of your crops. It's not a socialistic document, but it's a social correct. document. Um, well, it I think, recognizes yeah, doc- the re- about- mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, it, it's about ethics. It's about, it, you're right, you don't, have to, you, you, you don't have to give up everything that you have because you have to take care of yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. You need to love yourself as well in order to know how to love your neighbor. But it's, all, it's about all kinds of behaviors, Rabbi. Um, when it says, you shall not insult the deaf or place a stumbling block before the blind, you think about that. What does that mean? If you insult the deaf, they can't hear you. I think what it means is don't take advantage of other people's weaknesses. Um, don't put a stumbling block before the blind. Well, who's the blind? Well, we're all blind. We have blind spots. There are weaknesses that we have, 
And it's incumbent on us not just what we do, but what we don't do that makes us holy. And that's this is, this is the Torah that. portion that one could discuss for hours. Um, each of the laws found in it is, is ripe for commentary, and yet our time has ended. I want to oh. thank our guest, uh, Rabbi Norman Cohn, uh, for sharing with us his wisdom. You can find a podcast of this morning's show on iTunes, Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, or on the CHRI website. Um, for Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, again thanking my guests and wishing you good morning. Shalom. Behold, behold.